Good morning, Greater Alt. I'm Gary. We are in the middle, towards the end of a series on what we are entitled The Resurrection Effect. As we've shared multiple times that we under, we come to the conviction a few years ago that we have not paid enough attention to the resurrection, to the resurrection of Jesus or what I refer to as the resurrection, which is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back and all the dead are going to rise. That's what the Bible teaches. And that is part of what we call the gospel or the good news about Jesus. And what we had discovered is we were kind of ignored it. We talked about it. We understood the facts about it. We understood what it meant. But we put it up on a shelf, and then we didn't talk about it much. It didn't impact the way I lived on a daily basis. I didn't think about it on a regular basis at all, much less a daily basis. And as we began to read through the Bible, we understood and continued to understand and grow in our understanding that it was such a significant part. You take the resurrection out of the Gospel... And you don't have the gospel. You got some good news, but it's incomplete. And it's not the good news the way God intended it for. And we've been talking about that, and we will continue to talk about it. The series is going to end next week, and then Alan and I are going to start a series on the Holy Spirit, which I'll talk about a little bit more in a while. But, guys, we want you to understand this. We've been talking about the, the resurrection effect. And what we, why are we doing that? Because we believe the resurrection isn't a fact to put on a shelf. It should affect the way you live your daily life. It should impact the way you think, feel, believe, and the decisions you make. And so we talked about that. Alan's talked about how one of the rest, just as kind of a background or fundamentally understanding it, of how the resurrection was the beginning of a restoration, that God's trying to restore some things. And he talked about that for three weeks. And then I talked about how the, one of the resurrection effects is we have clear vision, specifically of eternity and what's significant and what's insignificant in this life. And then last week I talked about the effect being power, that we have a, a power to live in such a way that we don't have otherwise. The power was unleashed and made available to us at the resurrection, and because of the resurrection, that doesn't exist otherwise. And today what I'm going to be talking about is the resurrection effect. I'm just talking about courage. And if you look in your notes, when I first looked at this, i got to confess, Alan did the organizing on this, and he sent a list of topics that other people had done. And I looked at it, and I said, oh, that's great, I'll do one on courage. And when I looked at uh, started looking at the resurrection and courage, I was like, wow, the connection isn't there as clear as what I had, had hoped, is what I thought. And you know, sometimes you want to just say, understanding the resurrection brings courage, gives you courage. It doesn't say it that clearly. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, it does make a very clear connection that we want to begin with today. And it says here, beginning verse 30, it says, And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Well, what's Paul saying there? What he's talking about, he's going, look, my life is difficult, is what he is saying. It is not an easy life 
trying to spread the good news about Jesus. And he said, I face death every day. And that's not an exaggeration. Paul ended up being, being put to death because of his faith. As long with the, uh, 11 of the other apostles where they were put to death because of their faith. And he, he's saying, look, this is a real danger. And he says, why would I do that if the dead are not raised? He says, if the dead are not raised, meaning if there is no resurrection, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What he's saying is, let's just enjoy life. Why should I have the courage to do these difficult things, to put my life in danger unless there's a resurrection? You go on, guys, in a couple other passages that you look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. Now guys, as most of you know, I love to use a dictionary. I believe dictionaries help me understand things and give me a greater insight. When you look in your notes... There's a definition there of the word courage. It says the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc. without fear. Now that last part, again, this is a man's definition. I, I believe courage is more than that. I believe that courage is doing those things in the face of fear sometimes. Alright? I don't believe it's always without fear. I believe you're ignoring fear. You're neglecting it, if you will. And I believe if you do it long enough, you will do things without fear. If you act courageous long enough. Now, one of the things I found out when I, when I looked through the, when I started doing my research on this, uh, I did a word study. I just looked up the word courage in the New Testament. And guys, it's very easy to do. You don't have to be a smart or an elder to do it. All you got to do is get some good Bible software. I highly recommend BibleGateway.com. They have an app for all your phones. And you can do a search for any word, and you can see every time that word is in the Bible or within a certain range of the books of the Bible. And so I did that for the word courage in the New Testament. And what I discovered, I also encourage you, if you do that, to pay particular attention to the mounts translation. That's the word ounce with an M in front of it. Mounts. It's what they call an interlinear translation. And what it is, when you look it up in, in that translation, it will show you the English words, and below it, it will show you the Greek words. And then those Greek words, you can, you can highlight them, and it will show you the definition of those. And it will show you this is how the word's used. And it's very, it, it's, it's very enlightening to do this. Because you can't always take the English translation as literally as you may want. There are bad translations. There are mistranslations. And you can begin to dig to see. And like in this case, one of the things that I, I, I discovered is there are multiple Greek words that are used to tra- or translated into the, the English word courage. There's at least three that I found. And let me go through these with you. I'm not going to try to pronounce them or even spell them. But the the first one here, it means to be of good courage, good cheer, to be confident, hopeful, to be bold, maintain a bold bearing. You find this word used when Jesus repeatedly said to people, take courage. 
He said it when he was when he was walking on the water and they thought he was a ghost. And he says, they says, he says, take courage. It is I. Another time he says, you know, take courage. I have overcome the world. And so what he's saying there is, guys, is, is, I love that phrase. He says, maintain a bold bearing. I love that. You know, that, that helps me. I need to maintain a bold bearing. Well, what's the opposite? I think you're just kind of being sheepish. You know, that comes more natural to me. Another word that is a second Greek word, it's, is, it means to render bravely or manly. Okay? To show or behave one's self like a man. That's the word that's translated out there in your notes in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. And I hate to say this because I hate the phrase because of how it's been used in the past when I've been around, but a really accurate translation could be, for, for this in 1 Corinthians 6.13, instead of using the word courage, it could say, man up! Okay? Act like a man! Don't shrink back! And then the third word, it means to speak plainly, freely, boldly, and confidently. That's what's used in Acts 4.13 where it talks about Peter and John. And it, they, they said when they, when they saw the boldness, some, some translate it courage. Basically what they saw, when they saw how confident they were to speak freely while being charged with a crime. Well, they, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so guys, you see the, the word courage and the idea of having courage is, is, is has a wide range of implications. And guys, we want to look at that, but guys, I think it's very important that when you look, when you talk about courage, one of the things you have to talk about is fear also. You see, because, as I said earlier, courage is either acting without fear or in spite of the fear, in the face of fear. And whether you like to admit it or not, Every one of us in this room have things we're afraid of, don't we? I remember you know, uh, there was a movie uh, with Gene Hackman, what was it called, The, the Replacements, about a strike in the NFL, and they're all sitting around the room, and they're wanting to get all deep and intimate, emotionally intimate, and you, what are you afraid of? You know, and one guy's like, man, I'm afraid of spiders, man. I'm afraid of big hairy ones, man. And they go, oh, yeah, I'm afraid of spiders. No, I'm not talking about spiders. He's a... What else you feel? I'm afraid of quicksand. I'm afraid of quicksand. Oh, yeah, man, just getting sucked in, pulled right down. Oh, yeah, quicksand. And then they finally start, you know, they goes, no, I don't think that's what he's talking about. And then all of a sudden guys start talking, I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of going back to, having to go back to work at the car factory. Another guy says, I'm afraid of going back to prison. But guys, the truth of the matter is, everybody in this room has fears. And the truth of the matter is, you probably let those fears influence you in one, in one capacity or another. That's what they are designed to do. If you look at this passage here in Matthew 25, this is what Jesus has to say. This passage is taken out of a parable that Jesus told about three servants and a master. And He's to illustrate the kingdom of God to us by this. And He, he, he gave each of them different amounts of money or gold as a resource, he went on a journey, the master did, and he came back and he said, what'd you do with the money? 
And the first two doubled their money. And he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. And the third one comes up and he says, so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You see, folks, he was afraid of something and he knew what he was afraid of. He was afraid of losing the master's money. He was afraid of being punished for losing the master's money. And it influenced what he did. He did nothing with the master's money. He buried it. He kept it safe. But that didn't make the master happy. And you see, guys, I bring this up because when you're talking about being courageous, I believe you have to recognize your fears. Because that's what keeps you from it. And you need to understand something about this. Fear will keep you from being faithful in following Jesus. If you want nothing else from this lesson, that's what it is. Fear is your enemy to making your king happy. It gets in the way. And so every one of us has a need for courage in our life. Has a need to speak boldly. Act manly. To be brave. And so guys, that leads us to the question, well then, that's, <clears throat> that's good, but how does, the, how does my faith in the resurrection enable me to face my fears? Well guys, I want to ask you a question real quick. And if you're brave enough to write it down on your paper, you do it. There's not a place for it. There's not a blank for it. But I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? You see, because that fear will get in the way of you being faithful. And I believe you have to recognize it. Guys, I've jotted some down here. Most of these I've struggled with in the past or still confront me now. One of them is the fear of being lonely. Just when, you, you want to know what, what used to trigger my depression was when I would feel lonely. Another is insignificance. Feeling like your life doesn't matter. Nobody notices anything you do. Which leads to another fear, which is a fear of failure. You know, you want to feel like you're doing something significant, but you're afraid of failing. Boy, you're, you're talking about being captivated by your fears. You put those two together, it's bad. What about the fear of being poor? I've had that fear of being in business for myself. I've had fear of being bankrupt. And that goes hand in hand with the fear of failure because it's not just a matter of failing, but it's a matter of failing and everybody knowing about it. What about the fear of not having the life I want? We don't do what Jesus says because we're afraid if we do, we won't get what we want. We won't have the life we desire. You see, guys, I, I ask you to do that because those are going to influence you. And so without moving on, how does my belief or my faith in the resurrection enable me to face my fears? Number one, it gives me perspective. It gives me perspective. In 2 Corinthians 4, this is what Paul says. It says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Guys, you look at those words there. Eternity. Eternal life. 
Because a couple weeks ago I talked about this and how the resurrection gives us the, the effect of the resurrection gives us vision of eternity. And at that time I had a, I had a, a spool of red string. Most of you were here, you remember it. We passed it between each row of people and everybody grabbed a hold of it. And then after we were done passing it, Madison continued to walk around the dome and unrolling that roll of string. And we asked each of you to grab a hold of it and to tell you the amount of string you had in your hand represents your life. And the whole string represents eternity. And you see, guys, your life is very brief in the scheme of eternity. It's very, very brief. The Bible describes it as a mist that appears for a little while and then it's gone. You see, guys, what's so significant about that? So what? Well, guys, if you view your problems, if you're having hard times and you view them that it is temporary, does that change anything for you? I was amazed. One of the most incredible things I read, and I think I quoted this a couple weeks ago, there was a gentleman who survived a concentration camp in Nazi Germany during World War II. And he was a psychiatrist, and he was documenting as best he could his experience. And he said one of the things he learned was that if a man has a reason to live, they know there's going to be an end to their difficulty, they can endure almost anything. And guys, that's just the truth of the matter. When you look at eternity, if you can remember that string or picture that string all the way along here, And you think that's what eternal life is. That's what Jesus promises us. That is the good news. And you look at, your troubles are this long. Even if you lived your whole life that way. If you lived your whole life in poverty, God says that is a temporary situation. Okay? If you... Living your life right now, and it doesn't matter what circumstance, if you're not in the job you want, if your marriage isn't the way you want, okay, and that may be because you're not married, it's not the way you want. And you go on. If your financial situation is not the way you want, you can go on and on. You need to understand, if you extrapolate that out and say, this is going to be this way for the rest of my life, I don't believe it will be, but maybe it will. It's temporary. It won't, because eternity is coming. And guys, we need to have it within that context. See, you don't think about the resurrection without thinking about eternity. You know that? When you think about being resurrected, what's the point of it? The point of it is, I get to live forever then. That's the way God created man, is to live forever, and I'm going to be restored to that. I'm going to live forever. And guys, let me just say the last thing. Even death is temporary. That's what it's saying here. It is a temporary situation. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in a moment here. But look look in Luke chapter 12. This is what Jesus says. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
Guys, even death. Does anybody raise their hand right now? I mean, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hand because there may be somebody in the room that does. But there's very few of us who say, I want to die. I want to live a short life. No, most of us in here want our life and plan on our life going on for as long as possible, don't we? My mother's 78 years old right now. And what she says is, I want to live long enough to see my great-grandchild and, and to know, know who it is. <laughs> she wants to be alive and have the mind to know that it's her great-grandchild. Guys, we want that life to go on as long as possible. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us is going to die. Death is a temporary state because of the resurrection. You're going to temporarily be dead, and then we're all going to come back to life and live forever. Guys, the second thing that the resurrection, my faith in the resurrection does is it gives me victory. Victory. What's that all about? Well, let's go on and talk about it. Guys, look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, guys, now he's talking, you know, we just talked about death as a temporary situation, and that's one of the ways that we, the resurrection provides victory in that setting. That's not the only one, but I put it right there because I believe it's the ultimate victory. To not be afraid of death and to know that, hey, I'm going to defeat it because I'm going to be resurrected because of what Jesus did. Changes everything. And you see, there was a time in my life where I used to use the phrase on a pretty regular basis, I would say, I just can't win. And has anybody ever heard that? Somebody say, I just can't win. Have you ever said that? Yeah. And what you mean, let me say what, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Okay, and you, you can tell me if you agree or not. What that means is, I can't get my life to go the way I want. You know? Couldn't get my marriage the way I wanted. Couldn't get my kids the way I wanted. Couldn't get the people at church the way I wanted. Couldn't get my employees the way I wanted. I couldn't get me to be the way I wanted. That's what it means. And guys, what I learned, and I continue to learn, is I had to redefine what winning really looks like. And I believe that that's what the resurrection helps me is aiding in that process. Because it lets me know that winning isn't about achieving the things that I want. It's not about having success. It's not about having a life of significance the way I think I need to. It's not about having this idealistic, euphoric marriage. It's not about any of those things. It's not about having a career. It's not about making a lot of money. It's not about owning a nice house and having it paid off. It's not about those things. That's not what victory is all about. And so guys, we have to understand, we have to redefine what winning looks like. And in 1 John chapter 5, it's not in your notes. And I want to read this to you. It says, So for everyone born of God overcomes the world. 
This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See guys, John's talking here and he's saying victory is overcoming the world. And I believe what that means is that we're, we are living by a different standard than what the world is and we don't have to be judged by the standard of the world and we don't have to make decisions by the standard of the world unless it's something that is forced upon us that's totally beyond our control. And even then, we have the opportunity to choose our attitude and to choose our, our happiness and to choose our joy. But guys, when you're able to look at the world and the values of this world and to say, I don't, ha- I don't have to be judged by those values. I don't have to live my life by those values. I believe that is overcoming the world. And you see, I believe the resurrection and my belief in it, my faith in it, enable me to do that because the ultimate thing to be afraid of, being death, has been taken off the table. It's been taken off the table and I'm promised eternity where things are going to be different than what they are right now. I can't tell you exactly what. I can tell you actually very little about that. But I can tell you it's going to be eternal. So how do you let go of the values of this world? It's, it's quite simple, in my opinion, is you need to t- take hold of the values of what, of what God says is valuable. You need to recognize what He says is valuable and let go of what you presently think is valuable. Or when you're confronted with the opportunity, you have to do it. I've told this story before. I'll spare you the details. It was several years ago. I had somebody who we had worked on their car. They'd done, I used to be in the auto glass business. I'd worked on their car. It was in my shop. The car broke down in my shop. Literally, my, my office person turned the key and the tumblers inside all fell apart and the car wouldn't start. And they think it's my fault. They think I should pay for it. And I ended up through a process uh, you know, I went through, I called a friend who's not a believer in Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, and he told me this. He says, I'll never forget this. He said, Gary, you're not going to get anything out of this. And what he meant is, do not fix their car. You're not going to get anything for fixing their car. They're already talking bad about you. They're going to talk bad about you in the future. Even if you fix their car, they're going to talk about how you didn't want to fix their car and how they had to throw a fit before you decided to fix their car. And when he said, you're not going to get anything out of this, I believe it was the Holy Spirit, spoke to me and said, and that's why you need to do it, Gary. Why? Because I need practice doing something that I'm getting nothing for. I need, because that's what God does. See, Jesus died on the cross for hundreds of millions of people that are never going to live for Him. And if I want to be like Jesus, I've got to be willing to be like it. And honestly, it's a really small thing to do that when you compare it to what Jesus did for me. I've got to look at what I value. I valued the money it took to fix that thing. And God says, you need to value what it's going to do to you internally. What it's going to do to you eternally. 
more so. My daughter just finished her first year of college. And it's been a good year, hasn't it? Yep, yep. She's achieved, she's got good grades. She's hoping at this time, her desire, she's pursuing a path of going to medical school. She's got the grades to support that so far. And uh, she was on the track team and things went reasonably well there. Not the way she wanted, but they went good. She was voted newcomer of the year in her conference, all these things. Can I tell you what the highlight of her first year of college was? Do you know what the highlight of your first year of college was for me? <laughs> the highlight of her first year of college for me came back in, in, back in the wintertime when Stephanie passed. And I didn't know what to expect. I mean, this, honestly, this is the closest I've been to somebody passing, somebody dying. And Stephanie passed on a Thursday evening at home. And I wake up Friday morning to, to find out that my daughter had drove from Greenville to Godfrey. And I don't know why this is choking me up. <laughs> to be with her, one of her best friends. You know, she, she placed such a value on her education, but all of a sudden that gets interrupted, that gets put on the back burner because she has a friend that's in need. And it didn't end there. I don't remember if she went to class the next day or not, uh, but she spent the night there. And then the next weekend she was scheduled to go to a track meet in New York. Okay? Her only overnight meet of the year that she was going to get to go to. And she had, she had to qualify for this meet. It was a big deal. It's what they call Christian Nationals. And she called her coach and said, I can't go because the memorial service is next week. And I told her, I said, Jesse, the way that you have responded as a friend is truly admirable. I mean, it was like you had taken the values of this world and said, no. And I told her, I said, you know, because she goes to Greenville College, which is a Christian college. And I told her, as she was preparing to talk to the coaches, I said, you let them know. I mean, she didn't have to do this, but it's kind of stupid to claim to be a Christian school and get, you know, try to force her to do this. Because she's living the life. She's holding on to the values of God. You see, guys, college is temporary. Track meets are temporary. Death is temporary. And guys, the resurrection puts that in its proper perspective. It really does. It really does. There's a question. One of the things that I discovered in this, in my lesson, looking up courage, is that it's defined as being able to speak boldly, confidently, without hesitation. And so, guys, I ask the question, why do we not share our faith more? I ask that question, guys, or at all. You know, my wife has been personally convicted about this and is, 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 challenged, is constantly challenging me about it. Why don't we share our faith more? You know, Greater Alton in the past, was, that was a, one of our main focuses was telling people about Jesus is the best way we knew how, and we invited them, we held events, and invited them to those events, 
And we do it. Guys, I want to tell you, and this is me speaking here, this is my conviction. I don't believe we don't share our faith more because we don't know to. Or because we're not told to. I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe we don't share our faith more because we don't have an event to invite to. Or because we don't have cards with the church's name on it to invite people with. I don't believe those are the reasons. How about we don't share our faith because we don't have much of a faith? You see, guys, if I'm not saying that, if I'm not saying no to the things of this world and saying yes to the things of God, I probably don't have much of a faith to share. And if I'm not able to explain why, that I am saying no to the things of this world and yes to the things of God, I probably don't have much of a faith to share. And guys, I'll just be honest with you. If that's the case, if you, if, then, then you're, we're probably just being religious. And that's the best you can do. You see, guys, I can't lead somebody to a victory that I am not personally experiencing. And understanding the resurrection and believing in the resurrection and understanding that it's given me victory over death. If I'm not, in turn, overcoming the world by saying no to the values of this world and saying yes to what God values, I'm probably just being religious. Let me read a passage to you. It's in First Peter chapter 3. Verses 14 through 17. It says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Here it comes. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You see, guys, it says we need to be ready to give an answer, prepared to give an answer to anyone who asked me for the hope that I have. Believing in the resurrection and understanding of the resurrection gives you a hope and should impact your life. It should change your perspective. You should see things as temporary. I believe it does open the door to share your faith with people. I remember a while back, you know, we own car washes. And car washes are an interesting place. They really are. You know, we just bought this fourth one and we're rehabbing it. It's not even open yet. And I came in Friday and back by the vacuum islands, there was a 10-pound, look brand new, 10-pound bag of potatoes. What's up with that? I mean, I get it when I come in and I find brake drums and brake shoes and brake pads because somebody changed their brakes there and left me the old parts. I get that, okay? 
I get it when you find where somebody relieved themselves. Okay? I understand that. For some reason, that's where they had to go and they went. A 10-pound bag of potatoes? I don't get it. And I have no idea where I wanted to go with that story now. Okay, let's go on. I'd like to tell you that's part of growing old, but I've always been this way. So, Guys, the third thing. I'm sorry. I, I won't recover from it, so let's just go on. The third thing that my faith in the resurrection, how it enables me to face my fear, is that it gives my struggles a purpose. It gives my struggles a purpose. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You see, guys, I don't understand it completely. But I know that when I make a decision to fix somebody's car that I'm going to get nothing in return for that I didn't do the damage to and I'm going to get talked bad about, it's, it's achieving something for me. An eternal glory that far outweighs it, I don't understand it. When my daughter makes a decision to be a friend, a real friend, and deny herself things she wants to do, she's achieving for herself an eternal glory that far outweighs what she wanted. I can't understand it all. Like I've told you before, faith is moving in a direction without it being able to see what's in the future. Without even see exactly what's there. But guys, it gives me a purpose. And it gives my hard times, my difficult times, a reason for being there. Guys, in Romans chapter 2, this is what it says. It says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. You see, guys, when you look at those two passages, they're talking about eternal glory. They're talking about glory, honor, and immortality. It's not for nothing. The challenges you're dealing with, these temporary challenges, these temporary difficulties, are not for nothing. God is working it out for His purposes. You see, guys, you ever been going through something and you've asked the question, why is this happening to me? You, you ask that question usually like, oh, have I done something wrong? Am I doing something wrong? What's the, why, am I do, why is this happening to me? And that's not a bad question. That can be a very good question. You, it really can. Gary was sharing up here earlier about his financial situation. He told you why he was going through it. Through it. He bought a house he shouldn't have bought, right? It's a good question. Can I ask? Can I tell you a better question? A better question is, what is God trying to achieve in me? What is God trying to create in me right now? See, guys, right now. I have had the most challenging month. I have had more details to stay focused on or, to, or, or bidding for my attention, shall I say, 
than I have ever had before. You know, people ask you, oh, are you glad to be done with the glass business? No, not really. Not yet. It's challenging. And the question is, what is it doing? Why is it? Well, number one, it's, it's showing me what's important. I don't have to pay attention to every detail that asks for my attention. I'm learning and I'm growing from it. Last week, I had a, I had a conversation with my oldest son. My oldest son's overseeing the rehabbing of our fourth car wash. And I'll paraphrase this for you, but he called me up and he said, Dad, I need you to get out of my way. You need to let me do this. And what I heard was, I need to trust God some more by trusting my son. I need to let go of these details. Here's some details bidding for my attention. And what's happening is, guys, is God's, in a nutshell, God's still showing me my character and how it's not the way it's supposed to be. He's showing me how I have a tendency to worry and a tendency to stress. And so He's allowed these, these stressors to go through. And I understand they're temporary. I understand I'm going to live through it. And I understand that I want to see what God's trying to do in me. So guys, as we close out today, I just want to challenge you to look at. All I've done today is present to you how believing in the resurrection can give you courage. How it should affect you in that way. I'm guessing that everybody in this room has some fear that they're facing right now. That it's influencing you or, or threatening to influence you in some capacity. And I'm asking you to give some attention to the resurrection, to give some attention to eternity and what's going to happen at the resurrection and see if it doesn't give you courage. That's the challenge of this lesson. Let's pray and then we'll sing some songs. Alrighty? Father, thank You for... God, I can't thank You enough for opening our eyes to what we've missed about the resurrection. Father, it is, it is encouraging. It is exciting. It is so much more than being religious when we understand this. And God, it's exciting because it makes you more real to me. It means that you're active. It means that you are engaged in this world to save it, to redeem it, and to, for, for those of us who choose to, to have an eternal existence with You that we can only trust is going to be way beyond what we can imagine. Father, I want to pray right now. You just open our eyes. Father, when I started talking about this, there was a fear. Father, there's still a fear that is here that says that talking about this is going to make people think you're whacked out. Because it's not talked... Father, it's not talked about in in church as much that I know of, that I've heard. But Father, Your Word is very clear that it's very real and it is central to our faith. It is central to our belief in Jesus Christ. It is central to receiving eternal life. Father, open our eyes to see what You say. Open our eyes to believe it and to act. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.